Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. We're so excited you're tuning into one of our amazing messages. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, it's going to be real, and it's going to be powerful. It's going to help you to grow stronger in your walk with God. It's going to put faith on the inside of you. It's going to cause you to be able to walk in greater dimensions of blessing and enlargement so that you can be a blessing to other people. Well, lean in, enjoy the word. God bless you. So this is a uh, this is just a word that God gave me that has been on my heart in uh, this time, and I want to just get right into it. So open your Bibles. Come with me to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61.1, the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console all those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified." And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. God has been showing me in the past few years, but just gave me a really, really clear picture in the time that we're in that the world has exchanged the power of God for something that lacks power. You know, when you go in, when somebody is dying and the doctor has run out of answers, they put that person into what's called palliative care. And the word palliative is an adjective from the Latin paler, which means to cloak or to cover. In, med- in medicine, it's the relieving of pain without dealing with the cause of the condition. And orthodox medicines tend to be palliative rather than curative. And in the time that we're in, the world has been offering a lot of palliative solutions to what we know as Christians, God has the power to cure. You know, I'm, I'm Canadian by birth, and in Canada, they've taken the treatment and the curing of drug addicts and exchanged it for harm reduction. And harm reduction is palliative care. They have harm reduction clinics, and I've been to them, and they're awful. They're like hospice, except there is no hope and no joy. Drug addicts are given free drugs and clean needles so that they can shoot drugs in the safety of an environment where there are people there to resurrect them should they die from an overdose. But instead of saying there is a God in heaven who has real hope that can heal 
the brokenhearted, that can transform trauma, that can give joy for mourning, that can bring glory out of the worst situations, they're going to give them a substance that's eventually going to kill them and just make them comfortable until they die. And in our country, there are laws that are being made just to make people comfortable because we've gotten uncomfortable with confronting dysfunction. And it's a sad state of affairs because I had a dysfunctional life. And I'm grateful that there were godly men and women that said, there is hope. And I've seen it for years on social media, especially in light of when there's a tragic circumstance that people will say, we don't need your prayers, we need laws. And I'm not saying that there aren't horrible, tragic situations that happen in our country. Like I planned this message before anything that happened yesterday happened. But what we need is to be concerned with the hearts of the people in the country. Just putting in laws or making space for dysfunction in people's lives is not going to cure the problem that we have as a people, that we actually need the power of God to transform the human heart, to take the heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. You can pile on laws, you can pile on accommodations for all types of dysfunctional stuff, but it's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better. And you know, Jesus came to fulfill the law of God because law was not making people better. People trying to pretend like they were good was actually causing them to be dead and living like the walking dead. And I've experienced resurrection power in my own life. This week on May 20th, I just celebrated 27 years of sobriety from addiction. But it was by the power of God that met me on the floor of a Starbucks bathroom that changed my life. That I don't take credit for that. I give the glory to God because he's really the one that changed me. And I know because of my own experience that Christianity isn't just a dead religion to comfort a dying world. We, don't, we aren't just palliative care for a dying world. And that's the title of my message today is more than palliative care for a dying world. There's a, Jesus told his disciples very simply that their mission was to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead, and to cast out demons. He never said, mask the sick, make room for the lepers, mourn the dead, 
and cohabitate with demons. Paul said, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and power. And I think about there are some churches that are really like dark tunnels, that they're, they offer the word of God, but there is no power in that. So people go to dutifully fulfill their church box-ticking obligation, but don't experience transformation. When I came to this church, I knew that this was a church of power. I knew that God had power because God supernaturally came into my life and not only delivered me from addiction, that was just the starting block. And he was patient with me. That a lot of you guys know my story that after I got sober from drugs and alcohol, there was all sorts of other dysfunction that was exposed that he started to have to deal with one by one. And I think there's some churches, I've heard about them, thank God I've never gone to them, but there are churches that I think the congregation expects that they need to be perfect on day one. That as soon as they accept Jesus and go through that sweet honeymoon period of experiencing God, that they think, well, now I can't show any of my other areas of dysfunction for fear of being rejected. And I'm grateful that that was never my experience with God, that God, I had an encounter with him before I even knew what his name was. And that I refused to call him by name because I had a wrong idea about Christians believing that the only way that I would be accepted as a Christian is if I were perfect. And I knew that I was far from perfect, so I thought I'd never be accepted. And so I went down the rabbit hole of Eastern philosophy where I'm the hero of that story. You know, you take Buddhism, and I was a practicing Buddhist, so I can speak to this with authority, that with, in Buddhism, it is uh, all about detachment, that attachment causes suffering, that if you become attached to the things of the world, that if you fall in love, if you like things, if you appreciate the beauty or the things of life, that all of that is fading, so you will experience suffering if you become attached to things. But practicing serene detachment is like this delusion where you just become detached. And the fruit of my practicing of Buddhism made me feel like I was like window shopping through life where I'm like outside of this window where there's life inside, but I'm somehow detached from it. I thought that that was a path to happiness. It was a path to detachment. But if you read the life story of the Buddha, who was an Indian prince named Siddhartha, that he had an experience when he was five years old. His dad was the king of where he lived, and they had a ceremonial first scooping of earth to open up the farming season. And this little five-year-old boy, when he saw his dad stick the, the shovel into the dirt and pull the dirt out to 
open the farming season, he saw that there were all these earthworms that were exposed, and then a bunch of birds came down from the sky and ate the worms, and he determined that life is suffering. And so he developed this whole philosophy around suffering and death. And what I think is without knowing our God, he saw something naturally. He saw the reality of sin in this world, that sin and death were in this world, but instead of having power to confront and overcome sin and death, he chose detachment that if I never allow myself to engage, then I'll never experience pain. What I found is that Christianity is the polar opposite of that. That because Jesus conquered death and sin and gave us the power to conquer death and sin, we can go after death and sin with extraordinary engagement, not detachment, and seeing signs and wonders, miracles follow us as we go out. I know people that have been raised from the dead. I know people that were deemed incurable, mental illness, addiction, that walk freely, not heavily medicated, but free men walking the streets with family and thriving lives. The thing that all of these people have in common, and myself included, is that we didn't just have an encounter with the power of God. We didn't just get introduced to a set of principles to live by, but that God came and encountered us and moved with us in power through loving relationship. And that's really the message that I have for you tonight, that there's a loving relationship that starts in identity. And, you know, there's a, in Exodus 20, verse 7, the third commandment, you're probably familiar with it, says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. If you take God's name in vain, you're going to experience consequences. Yep. And for a long time, I had believed that maybe God was a little insecure. <laughs> and I heard Dr. Brian preach this weekend about this idea of God being insecure. And it was just sort of a, a statement that he made about what happened in the Garden of Eden when the serpent inserted doubt for the first time into Eve's mind. That prior to the serpent coming on the scene, when Eve had seen the tree, she saw God's protection. But the serpent inserted this idea that God was withholding because he didn't want Adam and Eve to be like him. And she started to wonder, maybe God isn't this perfect protector. Maybe he's a little bit insecure. 
And that same spirit can come into the way that we read this commandment. But I believe, because the one time that God revealed his name in the Bible, he revealed it to Moses. When Moses approached the burning bush, and the burning bush, God's voice audibly spoke to Moses and said that you are going to lead my people. And Moses said, well, who, who should I say sent me? And God replied, tell them I am sent you. So if you read this a little bit differently, you shall not say I am in vain. That the word vain means empty, without substance, devoid of real worth. Having no real substance, value, or importance, empty, unsatisfying, void, worthless, affecting no purpose, pointless, futile. And we live in a place where identity has been elevated in such a huge way to put our I am's to all sorts of things that are much less than what we are as children of God, co-heirs with Christ. And when I put my I am to all of those things, even in awakened recovery, we don't say I am an addict. We don't say I am an alcoholic. We say that I am recovering from addiction or I have overcome addiction because what you put your I am to is very, very powerful. And some of you know my, my story that in my early 20s, I was very, very hurt, rejected by my father rejected by a woman that I loved and I went into the gay lifestyle. But there was something in me that never said, I am that. And even in the Bible, it doesn't say that, it doesn't call people homosexuals. It says those who practice. And there's a difference between having a practice of something and having an identity. And when you refer to people as an identity, saying that their behavior somehow affects their identity, somehow their behavior defines them, that it's a violation of what God is calling us to, of not putting our I am to something that is less than what he says we are. And it's, I, I, I'll challenge you in this. This is something that I challenge myself in, that I don't put my I am, and I try to really watch labeling people as behaviors, no matter what it is. You know, it can be as benign as I am a surfer or I am a punk rocker, but all of the things that come along with that I am, suddenly you find that you can't violate because it becomes your identity. Some people become very, very identified with their role in ministry or very, very identified with their role in work or very identified with their relationship status. And all of a sudden, when those things get lost, they lose their identity and their entire world spirals down and then they find themselves depressed. And the world will say, oh, you're suffering from depression. Here, have some drugs, which are, by the way, a palliative solution. But when you know your identity, 
it changes how you feel about things. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but the enemy knows your name. But he'll call you by your sin. God also knows all your sin, but he only ever calls you by your name. Because he's concerned with what you put your I am to. So I want to pray for some people tonight. But I want you to know that your I am has power because you were made in the image of God. And this is very, very fundamental to understanding how to start to walk in power. If, you, if you're identified with being a behavior, if you're identified with being a sin, if you're identified with being a diagnosis, if you're identified with being a problem, if you're identified with your family lineage, generational curses, all of those things, if you say that, well, because of this, this it's, it's an identity problem. We're made in the image of God. We're made, we're designed to house his spirit. That his spirit, as Christians, his spirit comes to live inside us when we accept the invitation into transformative, loving relationship with a perfect, loving father. That Christ made that possible so our identity would change. And I don't think it gets talked about enough that when Christ died, that he gave, he gave up his identity. That the perfect son of God became sin. He took on the identity of sin so that he could exchange his perfect identity for our failure. And so we become identified through him as sons of God, co-heirs with, with Christ. And there's some, you know, you can take that and you can go far, far grace with it. And I want to clear, the, clear this up too, that there are definitely, Jesus made a habit of eating with sinners and tax collectors but he didn't do it to appear inclusive and accepting. He ate with them to call them into a changed and fruitful life. His call to transformation is a call of full transformation of life and identity, not affirmation of false identity. And I know that some of the things that I'm talking about tonight may be a little bit confrontational. And I know that confrontation without offering a real solution is a form of brutality. And there are churches, sadly, that do this, that when somebody is caught in sin, they are rejected because of it. They're not covered, they're not brought closer, they're pushed away. And if you've ever experienced that in your life for any reason from somebody that was a representative of Christ, I'm sorry. That's not the way it's supposed to be. 
Jesus left the 99 to go after the one, but there's a caveat in that, that if you look at the, the, the parable in full, that Jesus didn't go after the one to go hang out with the little dysfunctional sheep in the wilderness and co-sign its dysfunctional behavior. That Jesus went after the one to restore the 100 because every single one of the flock matters to him. So whether you have walked away and have been waiting for somebody to come out and agree with the reason that you walked away, I'm not going to agree with that tonight. But I would really like to offer you a way to come home. And, well, let me, let me pray. Could I have everybody bow their hair, heads and close their, their eyes? If you know that you have been identifying with the wrong thing, that you have been putting your I am to something that is less than what God says you are, as a son, as a daughter, as a co-heir with Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to repent, to say, God, I'm sorry. I didn't understand what I was doing and I want to be fully accepted by you in loving relationship. I want you to raise your hand. Is there anybody like that in there? God bless you. 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 Hands going up all over this place. And if you've maybe never heard the gospel or didn't know that this is how God operates, that he loves you and longs for you to live in the fullness of the identity that he gave you when he formed you in your mother's womb, that he has loved you before the world knew you, that he loved you before you were formed in his womb, that he created you with a plan and a purpose to give you life and life to the full. If you're like, Pastor, I, I want to enter into a relationship with a God that's that loving and that good. And, and I know that I need to. If you are that person, would you also raise your hand so I can pray for you? God bless you. 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 I see you up in the back. God bless you. 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 Now, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want all of us to join the people who just raised their hand in a prayer so that you who just said, I want that relationship, will hear around you a great community, a great cloud of witnesses who are agreeing with you and welcoming you into an eternity with God. Repeat after me, Heavenly Father, I am so grateful that you so loved me that you sent your only son on a rescue mission to save me because I'm that valuable to you. I declare that heaven is my home, that God is my father. And I thank you, God, for bringing me into a church that is going to surround me and support me 
as you mature me in loving relationship. Amen. Let's give those people a great round of applause. You know, funny little aside that there's a, there's a verse in the Bible that says when anyone makes that decision that there are angels that are rejoicing in heaven. And by the way, the Cool in the Gang song, Celebration, is about that verse. We were driving, my wife and I were driving, and there was somebody talking about like the history of songs from the 80s or something on the 80s countdown on Sirius. And they said that when the singer from that band read that verse, that he wrote the verse Celebration. Or he wrote the song Celebration in that verse. So when you hear that song, you will experience it differently. But I'm going to open up the altar in just a second for the ministers. But before I do that, I would like everybody in here to close their eyes and bow their heads so I can pray for you in power. That the Third uh, John verse one, uh, chapter one, or. Uh, Verse one, two, it says, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Right now, by the power of the blood of Jesus, I welcome the Holy Spirit to come upon you as your comforter, your helper, your healer, and your deliverer. I declare the forgiveness of God in Jesus' name. No matter what you have done or what has been done to you, you are free and no longer defined by your history. You are now defined by what God calls you to be, which is his beloved child. By the power of the blood of Jesus, I break the power of shame that you carry due to trauma or traumas that you have experienced. What was done to you or what you have experienced does not speak to who you are. You no longer carry shame because none of God's children have shame. I break the power of guilt that you carry for sin or things that you did to cope with your pain. In the name of Jesus, there is no condemnation. The law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. By the power of the declaration of Isaiah 61, I declare the spirit of the Lord God is here to bring good news to your broken heart. He is here to heal you and declare liberty and freedom. Right now, he is bringing comfort for mourning, joy for sorrow, a mantle of praise for the spirit of heaviness through divine exchange. I sever every single assignment of the evil one against you. In the name of Jesus, I command spirits of trauma, torment, and fear to leave now in the name of Jesus. I sever your assignment against these people by the power of the blood of Jesus. Spirit of suicide, I break your power and command you to stop speaking right now. I speak to murder and rage. I sever your assignment. In the name of Jesus, you no longer have a place in the life of the people hearing this. I sever right now the spirit of death. I say to you that you carry the same spirit as the raised Jesus dead body from the grave. I command the spirit of death to leave now in Jesus' name. I cancel and break off depression, oppression, insanity, mental illness, and the spirit of bipolar or multiple personality disorder in Jesus' name. I sever your assignment from the people hearing these words in Jesus' name. I sever right now the spirit of lust, of perversion, of sexual violation, and slavery of the ones hearing my voice in Jesus' name. I declare that the chains and shackles of perversion and lust are broken off you in Jesus' name. 
you are no longer in any way, shape, or form under the thumb of perversion. I break the power of pornography. I sever the hold that it has upon your soul and mind, and I command the images and memories to dry up and die right now. I invite you, put your hand on your heart as I speak healing to your broken heart in Jesus' name. Let the power of the Holy Spirit come now to pick up the pieces and put them back together so that you can walk in the freedom of being God's child and in his grace to be everything that you were created to be and do. I declare as healing comes to your heart, the shalom of God that brings wholeness and wellness will affect your mind, will, and emotions, and also your body in the name of Jesus. I invite you to put your right hand on your head. In the name of Jesus, I speak to every traumatic image and memory in the right lobe of your brain and command these images to dry up and die. I sever the neural pathway that leads to these traumatic images and memories. I sever your seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, and hearing from being triggered through these neural pathways. I sever, sever every lie and stronghold connected with traumatic images and memories. I pray for fresh faith and the truth of the word of God to replace those lies and memories. I command the memory center to wake up, wake up, wake up. Let there be a free flow of memory from the memory center so that what is restored in you are good memories about your life. Your mind is no longer hijacked by traumatic images and memories. I speak to healing of any concussions, traumatic brain injuries, or anything that has caused your brain to not operate in the way that it was originally intended by God. I command rewiring of the brain and proper neuron function in the name of Jesus to break the diagnosis of ADHD, dyslexia, locks of cognitive function. In the name of Jesus, I pray healing over auditory and visual processing. In the name of Jesus, I command any masking of trauma that looks like mental illness that was really caused by trauma to be healed in the name of Jesus. I declare healthy function and connections to be restored between right and left lobe of your brain. I declare the right lobe to be re completely restored and healed right now by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. I speak healing to all systems of your body and, the and their functions in the mighty name of Jesus. And God, I thank you that you made me to be conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. I can do all things through Christ because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. If you receive that, say amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already, and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.